Just a quick note to our listeners that today's topic is a sensitive one and might not be suitable for younger listeners. Are you unsure how to equip your kids to protect themselves from sexual abuse? Would you like practical advice on how to teach them to recognize and respond to inappropriate touch without robbing them of their innocence or instilling fear? Then we're so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support our ministry, one great way you can do that is by purchasing Ginger's resources directly from her website instead of other online retailers. And stay tuned until the end of this episode to receive a discount code on your purchase at gingerhubbard.com. Thank you so much for your support. This enables us to further our mission to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God. Do your kids just love getting mail? Do you go to the mailbox with them and sift through the mountain of paper like coupon for mold removal? Yeah, don't need that. Hopefully. Electric bill. Ouch. Bathing suit magazine you didn't request. Um, no thank you. But what if your kids went to the mailbox with you to find an engaging current events magazine just for them, presented from a biblical worldview? God's World News is just that and so much more. They offer bi-monthly print magazines and corresponding online content that will walk your kids through current events in age-appropriate ways, from toddlers all the way to teens. Just go to gwnews.com ginger to get a free copy of God's World News. Again, that's gwnews.com ginger to help your kids build their news literacy so they can better live out the gospel. Well, Ginger, I often daydream about what it will be like to live in a world with no evil. And I just look so forward to living in eternity with Christ in a new earth that is without sin, without evil, including in my own heart, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the meantime, Christians are aliens in this world that accepts and condones perversions of all kinds. And beyond that, our society has ventured beyond acceptance into celebration and promotion of all kinds of perversions. Evil is called good, and sadly, that puts our children at a much higher risk for sexual abuse. There are people all around us who, if given the chance, would harm our children. And often it's people we would least expect. So sad, but totally true. In the world we live in today, we have to teach our children how to recognize when something isn't right and how to respond wisely. And we can do that at age-appropriate levels that prepare them without scaring them. That's our goal. As Christians, we don't want to live in fear. So we trust God to equip us to walk in His discernment his wisdom, and his strength. And as parents, we teach our children to do the same. When Jesus was sending out his 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he told them to be on guard. Jesus did that because he was fully aware of evil people disguising themselves as good, people who would pose harm to his children. That's why he told them in verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
We don't want to put thoughts in the heads of our children that will rob them of innocence or provoke them to fear, but we do want to help them recognize warning signs of wicked people with intentions to harm and equip them with what they should do if they encounter one of those people. Teaching kids how to recognize and respond to sexual predators gives them confidence. It gives them the ability to escape the life-altering heartache, confusion, anger, and devastation of being sexually molested. Confidence can also alleviate fear. Well, Ginger, you've come up with six ways parents can protect their children from sexual abuse. So what is your first one? Well, Katie, before I launch into six ways we can protect our kids from sexual predators, I just want to thank Elizabeth Parsons, our friend, who directed me to some super helpful information she shared on her Instagram stories. Elizabeth is a wealth of information about a lot of things. So if you guys are not familiar with her and would like to check her out, you can find her on Instagram at Purely Parsons. All right, the first thing we can do to protect our children from sexual abuse is to teach them the correct term for body parts. Studies show that most perpetrators use pet names for private areas and that kids who know the correct names are less likely to be subjected to sexual abuse. So it's not a winky or a pee-pee, it's a penis. It's not a flower or a muffin, it's a vagina. Okay, I know this is not a funny topic and I don't want to make light of it, but I do have a funny story <laughs> about, no, about what you just said. <laughs> we have some really dear friends whose kids used to call their private areas, and the mom would call them TT Bottom and Dangle Dong. And they called them that, Ginger, for so many years that I teased this mom that her daughters in law would come to her one day and say, did you seriously never teach them the actual words? <laughs> I said, are their wives going to have to teach them on their wedding night exactly what these things mean? And so, but I mean, I get the temptation to soften these words, I guess, because we ourselves are so uncomfortable with using them, mm-hmm. uh, but it does potentially put our kids in danger. If we can't bring ourselves to use the actual words, that might signal to our kids that this topic is totally off limits with us. And that is not what we want them to believe. That's right, Katie. It's not. Body parts shouldn't be an embarrassing thing to talk about. Mm. We are created in the beautiful image of God, and our bodies are designed to fulfill His purposes for His glory, every part of our bodies. So children should be comfortable, not ashamed, to openly talk about all parts of their bodies with their parents. Otherwise, they won't recognize the warning signs of someone else talking about them in secret. A child who knows the correct terms and is comfortable having open, healthy conversations with their parents about their bodies will be more inclined to say to a predator, no, do not touch my penis. This sort of talk lets predators know that the child has been educated and prepared for body safety by an adult, which also lets them know that the child is less likely to give in to manipulation and grooming. If a child seems less vulnerable, the predator will be more inclined to back off because predators prey on vulnerability. Also, if the child has been touched in an inappropriate way, they're more likely to be taken seriously if they can describe exactly where they were touched. After our friend Elizabeth posted about kids and body talk on her Instagram stories, someone wrote into her sharing what happened to her as a young child, which was really eye-opening and frightening even. She wrote, I was molested in first grade by a boy in my class while sitting at a reading table right in front of my teacher at a private Christian school. Mm. 
It can literally happen anywhere. Kids need to know the right terms for their private parts, for their own protection. Think about it. If a child says to her teacher, someone touch my vagina, she's more likely to be taken seriously than if she says, Some, someone touch my cookie or my muffin or whatever other kooky name she's been taught. Well, another thought about teaching them the proper names is that if a child all of a sudden uses a pet name, that can be a warning sign that they are being groomed mm-hmm. or abused. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ginger, as I mentioned earlier, these conversations can be really awkward for some parents to have. And so they often avoid them altogether. But we just know from so much research that has been done on this topic that this kind of avoidance is a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. So do you have any tips for parents who find it awkward to have these kinds of body parts conversations with their kids? Yeah, I also loved what Elizabeth had to say about that. She gave some good tips there. She suggested that one of the most natural times to have these conversations with children is during bath time. And think about it. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be awkward or overwhelming. Uh, Just something like God created all of your body parts. These are your arms. These are your legs. These are your private parts. This is your penis. This is your vagina. These are your breasts. You also might ask simple questions during these conversations to ensure they understand who is and is not allowed to touch those parts. Is mommy allowed to touch your vagina while she's bathing you? Yes. Is anyone else allowed to touch your vagina? No. You also might even consider asking specific questions, too, uh, just to make sure they're really clear on that. Is someone at school or co-op allowed to touch your penis? No. Is someone at church allowed to touch your penis? No. Are your friends allowed to touch your private areas? No. We need to make it clear. Mm -hmm. Our former pediatrician would always say during our kids' exams, he would go, now I'm going to check your private areas with your mom sitting right here, and the only people allowed to do that are your parents and a doctor if your parents are right here. Mm -hmm. And I just loved that Mm -hmm. he did that. So when we moved and changed pediatricians, I just said the same thing with the doctor in the room. So I said to my child while we were in the middle of that exam, I said, remember, no one needs to see or touch your private areas except for your parents and your doctor if we are here with you. And our new doctor affirmed that. And then she said it herself without us prompting the next time we had an exam Mm -hmm. with one of our kids. That's awesome, Katie. Mm -hmm. I love that your pediatrician did that. And I think you setting that example for your new doctor helped her realize what a great opportunity she has as a physician Mm -hmm. when she's treating other children as well. I bet after she heard you do that, she made that a common practice, not just with your kids, but with all of her patients. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, me too. Wouldn't it be awesome if that was the standard protocol with all pediatricians? Oh, absolutely. Could make a huge difference in a child's life. It also sets an example to parents Mm -hmm. of the kind of conversations that they need to be having with their kids. So I love that. Hopefully we have some pediatricians that are listening and they'll take up that habit too. And just a quick word about kids touching their own genitals. Kids are naturally curious about their body parts, some more than others. If they are shamed for touching themselves, then they will more than likely be too ashamed to tell you if someone else touches them. Shame is one of the primary reasons children don't recognize and report sexual abuse. Mm. We can set boundaries without shaming. Sweetie, we don't show our private areas or touch our private areas in front of others or when we're out in public. Well, and just to build on that, we will likely address masturbation at some point since we've had several questions from parents about that, though this isn't the episode for that particular discussion. I do think it goes hand in hand with not shaming our kids during any discussion about their bodies or sex. If we make it weird or shameful, 
they'll just learn these aren't things they can talk about with us. And we definitely want them to feel comfortable talking to us about anything and everything. But God's word does give guidance to us and our kids about when sexual gratification is and isn't appropriate. And not all touching is for the purpose of sexual gratification, especially with young kids. Um, So to your point, a three-year-old who's walking around with his hands in his pants isn't really going to understand any of that. We would probably do well to approach this with a young child as habit training rather than heart training. Uh, bad habits aren't always sinful issues of the heart with our mm, kids. Yes, that's right. That's that's a good point. And the point that we're trying to make here is that if we openly talk about what's okay and what's not okay in regards to them touching themselves, our children will know it's wrong if someone else tries to touch them. Mm. So we have to be willing to have these conversations. It's harder for a sexual predator to groom a child who's obviously been educated in right and wrong and body safety. Also, for any parents who are listening and are just now realizing the importance of having these conversations with their young kids, one great way to break the ice is by reading them age-appropriate books. Mm -hmm. I cannot recommend enough God Made All of Me by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. This book helps children beginning as early as age two to understand the difference between appropriate and inappropriate touch. And it gives parents the tools they need to facilitate open conversations to help children know how to protect their bodies. Y'all, this book is a treasure. It's written from a biblical perspective of God being the creator of all things, including them and their private parts. It's such a valuable I just can't stress enough. It's such a valuable resource for teaching children healthy and safe boundaries with their bodies. So we'll be sure to have Heather put a link in the show notes to that book. Okay, so we need to start having conversations with our kids early, uh, teaching them proper names for their private body parts and who and who is not allowed to touch those parts. So Ginger, what's another way parents can protect their children from sexual abuse? They can consider referring to predators as tricky people instead of bad people. Mm. Sadly, statistics show that most sexual abuse occurs at the hands of a family member or friend, someone the child knows and trusts, which means it's someone that they would not consider a bad person. So using the term tricky people can help children identify inappropriate words and behavior in someone they do know and trust. A tricky person is not a safe person. A tricky person would try to touch their private parts. Well, just another reason why reinforcing who is and who isn't allowed to see or touch private areas is so very important. And I'm not just talking about with younger kids either. This is an issue even for preteens and teenagers. So according to RAIN, and that's the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, two-thirds of all child sex abuse victims are between the ages of 12 and 17. Mm. And Ginger... (laughs) I recently read a heartbreaking report that came out in 2022 about the Christian music artist Chris Rice and the sexual abuse allegations against him. Now, he has not been prosecuted, nor has he responded publicly, to my knowledge. I've searched and can't find that. Um, But I do want to point out a few things mentioned in the report that was pulled together by an organization called Grace, and that's Godly Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment. They were actually hired by a church where Chris Rice served 
from 1995 to 2003. But in that report, they were able to verify that he would often give back rubs to young teenage boys. Mm. Seemed really benign. Um, It was considered very normal behavior by the boys and even other adults within the church. And it was kind of a running joke to them about what good back rubs Chris Rice gives. Mm. Uh, But over the course of many years, those back rubs turned into him pushing boundaries and testing the boy's resolve to ward off his advances. And some of these young men claimed this happened even into their late teen years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what is described in that report is textbook grooming. Mm -hmm. It's predictable. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've seen patterns now enough to notice when it's happening. Um, Sadly, it's taken churches way too long to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wish every church had a handbook that specifically detailed what should be considered inappropriate touch mm-hmm. so that any behavior that might be potential grooming is deemed unacceptable. Yeah, and some churches do, and a lot have caught on to this as we are hearing more and more churches do what this one did and putting it out there in the public, which I think they did the right thing Mm -hmm. in putting that out there where we can read and see and learn from that. And that was their point when the church put this out. They said, Mm -hmm. we don't want this to happen at any other church. Right. You know, but we also can't just depend on churches to do what parents should be doing at home. And I understand we can't prevent every possible scenario, but there are some situations where children are statistically more at risk. And we'll talk more about that, and I'm thinking specifically of spend-the-night situations in a little bit. So, Ginger, give us the third lesson for parents to teach their kids. Parents should teach their children that a safe adult would never ask them to keep a secret from you, even if it's an adult they know well. Nothing good comes from secrets. So consider telling your children often that there are no secrets in your family. You can teach them the difference between a surprise and a secret. A surprise is something that would make them feel happy and excited. It would involve everyone eventually finding out at the right time. A secret is something that would make them feel torn or confused or uncomfortable in some way or maybe even embarrassed or afraid. And it would come with a warning to never tell so that no one ever finds out. I'm going to say that again because I think that is such an important thing to teach our kids, and I had never really heard it put that way. But you said a surprise is something that would make them feel happy and excited, and it would involve everyone eventually finding out at the right time. Mm -hmm. If we can teach our kids that that's what it means, those are the only kinds of secrets, which isn't really a secret, it's a surprise. Mm -hmm. I imagine that would just make a huge difference in the Mm -hmm. lives of so many kids. So I wanted to repeat that because secrets from predators typically typically come with a threat as well. So if you tell I'm going to kill your family or something really horrific that would obviously scare the child into secrecy. And, you know, Ginger, you mentioned Elizabeth Parsons post and one of her followers shared the sad story of how her sexual abuser threatened to do the same thing to her sister if she told anyone. So she didn't. She didn't tell anyone. And years later found out from her sister that the abuser had threatened her with the same thing. Mm. And so, I mean, just the thought of that, they were trying to protect each other. Mm -hmm. Nothing good comes from secrets, as you said. That's right. So encouraging children to immediately come and tell you no matter who is telling them a secret or what the secret is, that's what we want to do. And assure them that they will never get in trouble for telling you a secret that someone has told them. And that includes telling you about somebody touching their private areas. Y'all, we need to have these conversations with our children. Mm -hmm. 
The fourth way parents can protect children from sexual abuse is to give them permission to break all the rules with tricky people. You know, we teach our children to show respect for adults, which is something that a predator can use to manipulate them. But if a tricky person is crossing a boundary and trying to touch them or persuade them into doing something that they know is wrong or that makes them uncomfortable, give them permission to yell, hit, kick, bite, run away, and by all means, tattletale. Tell them that anything goes for fighting back because all rules of respect do not apply to tricky people. Mm. A fifth way to protect kids is to consider not allowing them, as you said, Katie, I think this is a biggie, not allow them to spend the night away from home. I personally know three people who have publicly proclaimed to be Christians and appeared to be walking the walk, but wound up being convicted of sexually abusing a child. I was shocked, completely shocked by all three because they were all people that I felt were trustworthy and safe for my children to be around. As I said earlier, it's often people that you least expect. We have to accept that there are wolves in sheep's clothing out there because the Bible tells us there are. And keep in mind that sexual abusers are not always adults at sleepovers. Mm. They can be siblings, cousins, or friends. Remember, most children are sexually abused by someone they know and trust. So it's time to teach our children more than stranger danger. Among cases of child sexual abuse reported to law enforcement, 93% are known to the victims. The breakdown shows that 59% are acquaintances, 34% are family members, and only 7% are strangers. Mm. With those frightening statistics, our kids are already at risk, and when we allow sleepovers, we invite even more risk. You know, this is one of those topics, (laughs) we have several topics like this, uh, that invites a lot of heated debate. I have just seen so many people who claim that their children would never be unsafe with these particular family members or friends. Or sleepovers are a rite of passage, and parents are depriving their children if they don't allow them to participate. But I just don't think we have the luxury of being naive when we look at the statistics. And I honestly don't think my kids are missing out on anything that is truly life-altering or even developmentally necessary by not allowing them to do sleepovers. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're missing out on some fun. And they will miss out on a lot of fun uh, with my particular parenting style. (laughs) They will. (laughs) But they'll also miss out on those opportunities for danger that I know are greater um, in situations like that. You know, thankfully, I never had to deal with a sexual predator in my childhood. But I did have more than one spend-the-night situation that made me very uncomfortable, both with adults and with other children. And I mean, even with other girls. So parents, we cannot pretend like this doesn't happen, even with family, close friends, fellow church members, our best friends. We just, we can't pretend like it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a good idea to do your own research, take a step back and ask, is the risk really worth the reward? Or is the reward really worth the risk? Um, And I have one more point to make here because I think it's important to distinguish between fear and discernment. I once had a friend, uh, we were talking about this very thing, and I had a friend say that she didn't worry about it because she didn't want to parent from fear. And I get where she's coming from with that, but someone could make the same argument about not requiring their kids to use a seatbelt. You know, they may arrive safely from point A to point B and go, see, there was no reason to force them to wear a seatbelt. Nothing bad happened. But the lack of something catastrophic 
isn't proof that it was a wise choice. Hmm. We aren't parenting from fear if we, number one, know statistically what will keep our kids most safe and then do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's called wisdom and discernment. And I'm not <laughs> saying that wise and discerning people can't come to different conclusions about stuff like this. I just mean it's good for us to take a step back, consider our reasons, uh, weigh the risk and reward, and then pray a whole lot about it. That's right. Look at the statistics, educate yourself, and pray that God would give you wisdom and guide you to make the best decisions for your family. We're told in James 1.5 that if we ask Him for wisdom, He promises to give it to us. Have you ever been at a total loss for how to explain to your kids some of the really hard things they've seen in our culture or in the news? Sometimes I resort to distraction, like, hey, who wants ice cream? (laughs) Because I'm just not sure how to rightly respond. This is why I'm so excited about a new podcast that is stepping in to meet that need. The podcast is called Concurrently, and each episode is full of practical help so that we can teach our kids how to develop news literacy and biblical discernment. To find out more, visit concurrentlypodcast.com, and you can listen to new episodes of Concurrently every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Katie, for the sixth and final tip for protecting our children from sexual abuse, let's hop on your soapbox (laughs) and talk about the dangers of technology, one of your favorite topics. Yes, please. (laughs) Technology is a sexual predator's playground. Kids may think that they can recognize an online predator pretending to be someone they're not, but sadly, many have been fooled and become victims. If your children have any access at all to online devices, they need to be aware that there are millions of adults with evil intentions posing as kids. These people are skilled at striking up friendships using chat rooms, fake social media accounts, and instant messaging. They build relationships through seemingly innocent conversations. Then once trust is established, they take it to the next level and try to arrange an in-person meeting. I highly recommend that you have safe settings on any and every device your kids have. Set those devices to where they can only have access to and interact with people you know. And if you're giving your older teenagers more freedom than that, I strongly encourage you to keep regular checks on their interactions. If there's nothing to hide, they shouldn't mind you checking. And keep in mind, children who have lots of freedom with technology can have fake accounts. I've seen that time and time again, one for the parents and one for their secret life. And Ginger, I know in just hearing you say that, We would have parents who might argue, you know, what about teenagers? Isn't my teenager entitled to some privacy? I hear that a lot. Yeah. Well, if they have access to online technology, no. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Establish that rule early on. Uh, You might say, because I love you and because I'm responsible for your safety, the privilege of technology is to be held with open hands. You You don't have your own device. What's yours is mine. Teens who have nothing to hide will have no problem with that rule. If your teenager doesn't want you to have the password to a particular device or hesitates to hand over their phone when you ask to see it, you better believe that teenager has something to hide. Katie, I'm beginning to think we should have titled this episode, Nothing Good Comes From Secrets. Well, it's true. And I I completely agree with you. There is a huge difference between giving our kids the kind of privacy they need when they're old enough to bathe themselves and you know, use the restroom without assistance versus giving them carte blanche when it comes to technology. Mm -hmm. Privacy with technology is not a right in my home. It's not even a privilege. 
privacy with technology is not a privilege in our home. Uh, we just decided early on not to even set that expectation. Our kids don't have their phones. We have a kid phone that they can access with permission. Even if one kid uses it more than the others, it still belongs to the family and not to that individual. We're just pretending like it's 1980 over here and everybody <laughs> has to use the phone in the living room. <laughs> yep. And my kids all huddle around when one of them is on the phone because, you know, they just really enjoy talking to friends and I guess watching each other talk to friends. Actually, as I was walking into my bedroom to record this episode, my oldest said to me, mom, Grayson's sitting here while I'm trying to call my friends. And I'm like, so what? You're, you know, you're on the phone. It's <laughs> going to be a public conversation. That's good. <laughs> yep. I love it. And I want them to be able to talk to their friends, just not without some really clear boundaries mm -hmm. for doing that. Mm -hmm. um, Ginger, even my husband and I don't have privacy when it comes to our devices. He has full access to my phone and I have full access to his and that is just a hedge we have built around our marriage for so many reasons. Um, I even have, actually, I have less access to my own phone. I have a time limit with a password on Instagram that only he knows because I'm trying to keep my brain from turning to mush. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the opposite. Ronnie has to remind me to get on Instagram to see if I have any messages I need to respond to. I'm really trying to be better about that. I don't care much about scrolling, but I love to stay in touch with our listeners through Instagram. And by the way, Ronnie and I have full access to each other's devices too. Not because we're suspicious, not because we don't trust each other, but because we have nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. Also, we travel a lot together and we take turns working from the car. So if I'm driving, Ronnie will have my phone so that he can respond to text messages for me and I do the same thing. So we sort of play secretary for each other when we're <laughs> traveling and working in the car. Anyway, while I'm on Katie's soapbox about technology, which is really a soapbox we all need to be on, Internet safety statistics reveal that as many as 89% of online predators' victims are contacted through chat rooms and instant messaging. And according to social media predator statistics, an estimated 82% of child sex crimes start with social media contact. Mm. From the statistics we found, it seems uh, to me and Katie that social media is actually the most used tool for predators. And parents, keep in mind that most video games have online chat rooms and instant messaging also. Uh, we've talked about how damaging video games are for all sorts of reasons in past episodes. But if you do allow your kids to play video games, the best solution to ensure their safety from sexual predators is to supervise and only allow them to play with friends their age and that they and you know personally. Katie, I feel pretty certain uh, that you're probably <laughs> going to have a few more things to add here. So climb on up on the soapbox. Oh, Ginger, I have so much. Uh, but I will restrain myself to three points. The first one, parents need to think long and hard about giving their kids unmonitored or even monitored access to any kind of smart device with apps. Um, if the app has access to a community your child can be contacted by sexual predators. I know there was a fairly recent instance, I think this was just a few years ago, where some teen girls were targeted by a registered sex offender through the Bible app. Mm. I mean, if your kids aren't safe in the Bible app, mm. I can't think of many apps that are safe for them to use. Yeah. And most of the nefarious things that can happen on a phone can be done right under a parent's nose. So... That's my first point. Um, I know my kids will likely use dumb phones until they can afford to buy their own. You know, once they have a job and they're making their own decisions about that, we may no longer have control over that. Uh, but for now, we love that our family 
has a gab phone because our kids can still call and text friends, but they can't send or receive pictures. And that's actually my second point. Like it or not, admit it or not, electronic devices of all kinds, even video games, are used by children to send and receive sexual images and content. And it's not just registered sex offenders who are sending or asking for sexually explicit images. It's often other kids they know. Sexting is just a huge issue right now. One statistic I read said that almost 40% of kids with smartphones have either received or sent sexually explicit messages or photos by the age of 13. By the age of 13. Wow. But the really alarming part to me, and just my heart sank when I read this, more than 15% of eight-year-old girls have been exposed to sexting. Mm -hmm. Probably right under their parents' noses. Mm -hmm. Um, So we avoid devices with apps for all of our kids, even our teenager, as well as devices that can send and receive pictures. My final word of caution as it relates to protecting our kids from sexual abuse through technology is like Ginger said, really consider the dangers of social media before you ever allow your kids to use it. Just this past May, the U.S. Surgeon General issued a new advisory about the effects of social media use on kids' mental health. Here's a quote from the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy. He said, the most common question parents ask me is, is social media safe for my kids? Now, I'm going to stop right there. The fact that parents are even asking that Mm -hmm. tells you that they know it isn't. Right. But that it's hard to stop mm-hmm. once you've allowed it. Because everybody else has one. Absolutely. So anyway, I'll continue. He said, the answer is that we don't have enough evidence to say it's safe. And in fact, there is growing evidence that social media use is associated with harm to young people's mental health. Hmm. So, I would have gave a, a much more bold answer than that. Oh, I, would have I know. Said, no, I know. <laughs> no, it's not safe. <laughs> He's a little understated. Um, yeah. Children are exposed to harmful content on social media, ranging from violent and sexual content to bullying and harassment. And for too many children, social media use is compromising their sleep and valuable in-person time with family and friends. He said, we are in the middle of a national youth mental health crisis, and I am concerned that social media is an important driver of that crisis, Mm. one that we must urgently address. Mm, Good for him. Okay, so he did get a little bolder. He did. I didn't let you finish. (laughs) Well, but it's, it's frightening enough, all the issues he named in that quote, but he didn't even address the fact that 20% of kids have been sexually solicited online, Mm. most of them in chat rooms or on social media. And here's the really alarming thing. 75% of these kids did not tell a parent about it. And 14% of kids have met online predators in person. And this is horrifying. Nearly 75% of those kids met their abusers multiple times. Oh, Katie, that is horrifying. It is. It's horrible to think about. In parents, we don't have the luxury of not being aware of this. I mean, we know. We know what's happening. And um, so we just need to remind ourselves sometimes of why we're digging our heels. I'm reminding myself, even as I'm doing this, why we have dug our heels in on this issue and said to our kids, I'm sorry. I know others are doing it. I know almost everybody else is doing it, but we're not. And we're okay with that. Right. Um, I will have Heather put links in the show notes to the places where both Ginger and I found 
all this info. But my point is that we cannot pretend like this probably won't happen to our kids if we give them access to devices. Statistically, it's more likely that it will happen. And we have to ask ourselves if we would rather deal with the fallout from sexual abuse or the difficulty that comes from being the weird parent whose kids don't have their own phone. Uh, And I'm that weird parent. I don't care. Um, but I won't allow myself to cave to social pressures because the risks here far outweigh the rewards. Mm-hmm. I can't think of many rewards for my right. kids having social media or, right. really, or really even a smart device. Yep. And there are some, I mean, you know, we've had them in the past when our kids had audiobooks, but we quickly ran into trouble there. Mm-hmm. And so, and maybe we should do a pros and cons list and let the kids write that are arguing that want the phone, let them write the pros and let us yeah. write the cons. Exactly. And then let's compare notes. Right. And, <laughs> and honestly, most of the pros have to do with the social pressure related right. to it. Yeah. Which is really not a pro at all. No, it's really not. Um, so parents, I know many of you probably have found yourself in this situation where you've allowed your kids to have a smart device and maybe you think you don't want them to have that anymore. I've been there. Uh, but maybe you're hesitant to go cold turkey without any means to communicate when you're not with them, I really do suggest that you check out a company like Gab that has safe phones or safe watches that are designed for kids. And if you'd like, you can use our code GINGER at checkout to get the most current discount. They run all sorts of discounts throughout the year. Um, They have great specials, so just keep an eye out for that. But their website is Gab, G-A-B-B.com. And again, that code is GINGER. Yes, Ginger. Now is the part of our show where we give a quick tip for parents. Today's quick tip is courtesy of Carissa in Manitoba, Canada. Here's what she said. I used to be a nanny to four preteen girls. Wow, that is a hard job. (laughs) Uh, On occasion, I would pack the four girls into my small Honda Civic and go out to do errands or an event with them. My vehicle became the place for nonstop fighting, scratching, and yelling. One day I decided that I would not start driving until every girl shared three things that they were thankful for that day. You would be amazed at how this changed the attitude for the drive. It is a simple way to practice Romans 12 too and teach them how to change the way that they think. I will one day practice this tip with my own kiddos who are still both under two. Thank you for your ministry. It has often been played in my kitchen while I'm scrubbing the dishes. Oh, I love that. I do too. If you have a quick tip for our show, we would love to hear from you. It can be any random tip about cooking, housekeeping, something you do with your kids, ideas for fun date nights with your spouse, anything at all. We would love to share your ideas on the podcast. Just go to gingerhubbard.com slash quick tips to submit those. Well, Ginger, this was a really heavy topic today, and I know that we gave our listeners a lot of information that could potentially cause some fear or anxiety. So can you leave us with a final word of encouragement? As we seek to protect our children from the evil of sexual predators, we need to keep in mind that the real battle against evil is fought in the spiritual world, where the enemy is working to bring harm to our children. That's why 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. So it's our responsibility as parents to not only be alert and sober-minded ourselves, but to teach our children how to be as well. And let's remind our children often that those who belong to Jesus can live confidently in him because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Thank you so much, Ginger. And thank you listeners for joining us today. If your church might be interested in hosting Ginger and me for a women's event or bringing Ginger in for a parenting conference, please fill out the contact form at gingerhubber.com and we'll get back to you with more information. 
Also on gingerhubbard.com, you can find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering a 10% discount on her audio series called Reaching the Heart of Your Child. This is available in CD format or as a digital download. This three-session series is based on the content from Ginger's best-selling parenting book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, and it addresses topics like how to reach the heart of your child, how to give a biblical reproof, and the biblical use of the rod. The digital download is perfect for our international listeners because there are no astronomical shipping costs, and if you enter the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com, you can get 10% off. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God. Oh, I love that. She is going to be a great mom one day. She is a mom. I thought she was a nanny. No, she says, what? Practice this tip with my own kiddos who are still both under two. She was a nanny. Oh. You take all that. And this is what happens if we're not fully prepared. (laughs) Should we have outtakes on such a serious episode? I think we may have to. I think we may have to. (laughs) I guess I was halfway listed. I I did catch the tip, though. It was a very good tip. It's a great tip. Teach them to to make them say three things. They're thankful for. I got that part, but I don't know where I got that she was a nanny and she was going to wait. You're like, Carissa, you'll be a great mom one day, even if you're not right now. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm brain dead today. <laughs> Do you want to say something after or you want to just leave it? Uh, just leave. Okay. I don't even know. Whatever I, I say, whatever I say is gonna just, it's just going to give you more ammunition for outtakes. <laughs> just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I got to pull it together.